is The Dog and Bone. Welcome to The Dog and Bone, a series of podcasts brought to you by Propeller Group, the global PR, content and business development specialist that builds a reputation and growth for companies in media, marketing, retail and technology. I'm Martin Lote, founder of Propeller and curator of The Dog and Bone. In each episode, we invite a business leader with something to say into our kennel for a chat. We ask them to dig up something a bit tasty for us to chew on. My guest on this episode is one of the more colourful and charismatic characters in the media industry, and there aren't too many of those around anymore. Lawson Muncaster is the co-founder and managing director of City AM, which styles itself as London's most read financial and business newspaper. Before launching City AM in 2005 with his business partner Jens Torp, Lawson enjoyed a starred career in media sales, rising up the ranks through Scottish TV, Eurosport, CNN and free newspaper pioneer Metro International, and making many friends on the way, due in part to his avuncular style and generous, hospitable nature. He's also a proud freeman of the City of London, a single-figure handicapped golfer, and a passionate supporter of Celtic FC, and I think any Scottish national sports team he can find, especially when they're playing the English. Lawson, welcome to the Dog and Bone. Good morning. Delighted to be here. Thanks for coming in. Now, we've known each other for a while, more than 20 years, I think. Long, and I'm pleased yeah, longer. To, yeah, maybe longer. And I'm pleased to say that uh, Propeller, sponsor of this podcast, was the PR agency that supported the launch of City M some 17 years ago. I remember that first press night when you launched it. I was nervous just about the PR stories and getting you and Jens and the editor on TV. But you guys must have been on tenterhooks seeing how your print baby would turn out. Can you remember that launch period? Um, very, very clearly. Um, I can remember we were, we were against the odds, I think. I mean, most people said don't do newspapers, certainly don't do free and certainly not now. So I think there was a lot of attention from, A, people that didn't understand the industry to, to ask the question quite rightly why. Um, and for those in the industry, they, I think they wanted us to fail, really. And um, I remember at the print plant, I remember 4 a.m. start. I remember going to the green room at Radio 4, doing an interview there with Humphreys. And then I also remember coming out, getting in the car back to the office. And we saw our first reader with the paper in his hand. Oh, and then I stopped the car and I went over and I said hello. And I said, you realise you're the first reader I've ever met in my life. And you're actually probably the first reader we've ever had. And so I, I remember that very clearly. Um, it was still dark, so it must have been six thirty, seven o'clock, September the fifth, two thousand and five. Yeah, great memories, great memories. Yeah. What gave you the idea? Because you said a lot of people said, "Well, just don't try a newspaper." And it's obviously a while ago now, before the whole sort of digital boom and certainly mobile boom. Yeah. But what gave you what gave you the idea? And what was the original business model around distribution and I, so on? I think that. I think Jens came from a TV background that I similarly had the same sort of um, history in terms of media, but probably more commercial. Um, but obviously I had a tenure with Metro International where you know, I launched quite a few papers and across the globe um, with Jens shouting at me from London. Um, but I think that the Metro concept, we sort of inverted the idea because the distribution cost is obviously this maximum of getting as many papers as possible out there. That's a real cost. Mm. And demographically, it, it kind of favours itself to an adult-type audience, where um, although amazing job that it does, the yield on that CPT is not that great. So if you actually take the the thought process, less distribution, because business people are densely populated. Yeah, you've focused on so therefore, them. So therefore, your, your distribution cost comes down. 
your demographic by a sales selection process. No one's going to pick CTM up unless they're interested in business. So there in turn gives you, creates a, a professional profile. Um, and advertisers are very keen to, to, to talk to these people. So I think we, that, that that was the sort of mathematical, logical thing why I wanted to do it. Um, I think both Jens and I realised that we were entering into a space where things would change quite quickly and it would be definitely a lot of headwinds in front of us. Um, but I was very, very adamant, and until this day, is that in use content terms, you have to create a brand. Um, and maybe, you know, in a couple of years' time, we'll be talking about the newspaper as a marketing tool rather than just a newspaper. Um, but that 17 years has gained um, us a bit of empathy with these people. Um, I think especially within the City of London, the Corporation of London. Um, I think with probably their platform to communication, not just to their population and the people they have to look after and the businesses they look after, but also I think in a global context, we might have been arrogant, I think that you know we've kept our, our, our editorial product pretty simple, you know, very much libertarian, very much about London and the business community of London. And I think the international and national community outside London probably goes to citym.com to say, okay, what are these guys thinking? We don't try and do a, a story in London about New York and things like that. That's other people's jobs, and, and, and they do it very, very well. So I think, you know, that this whole COVID experience has probably educated us and focuses far more on the, on the original concept of, of what CityM was. So if there's one good thing about COVID, that was it. Mm. You know, keep to the basics. Yeah. You're a great brand. Um, I think newspapers today probably are the integrity of content rather than the mass communication of content. Tell me about what does the business look like now? Because 17 years on, you've obviously added digital and other services. Give us a quick rundown of the portfolio. And, and, and obviously, you've had the, you know, the challenges with, with, with print and whether you've managed to augment that with digital. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I mean, take 2005, there was one income stream, and that was ad revenue for the paper. That was it. Um, today, you know, we talk about, you know, City M, the media group. Sounds a bit sort of... Um, pompous but you know we, we do actually have you know different services you know we have an events business we have an online business podcast business syndication business um a club um you know these are things that have evolved over that time and we wouldn't have been able to do that successfully unless we had the paper and there's no i'm not scared or embarrassed to say that newspapers are in trouble you know um but i think that if you look upon it in our community, in the local aspect of what we are, I think it's slightly different. We're not chasing circulation, you know. It's just very much a self-selecting product, and it's the quality of that audience. And how they um, interact with us has changed massively. I mean, you can get CTM delivered to your door now, you know. Okay, that's paid for. Someone has to buy that. Um, but there's so many different ways to interact with us. Uh, and I think that... The whole world has changed that content or burgers or pizzas or whatever, they have to come to consumers now, you know, the deliveries or whatever. It's, yeah. it's not just about them coming to you. And I think that probably has a huge impact on traditional paid-for newspapers and news agents. There might come a day that WH Smith says, I don't want to distribute your newspaper. I'm not making any money on it. So I think that the challenges there are, are definitely going to come thick and fast right no fair enough but i mean as this is a business podcast and i'm sure our listeners will be very keen to know what can you tell us about your 
your numbers now. I mean, traditionally used to circulate in print terms around eighty-five thousand, but I think it's it's in the thirties now. Um, but you know, what? How do you see your? God, you're up to speed. The ABC figure only came out for July this morning. It was 37,000. I had a great look last night. What we did today, all all we've done there is it's probably about 85. It's about the same sort of uh, pre-COVID levels having launched, relaunched last last October. Um, But we just took the decision in July and August to bring bring down the the circulation. So same same logistics, same uh, outlets, but just, you know, the cost of print has doubled. Um, We still have this Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday lottery. I think we're very strong Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You know the twats. It's a good twat. Yeah, yeah. Um, And that obviously puts in consideration to what we do in the future. Uh, But we told the market what we were doing, and you know we give them double value. Um, We're pretty comfortable with it. And um, every time in summer we do do things that are different. Um, Twenty percent of the city are not there. Yeah. And then if you if you apply that to a a weaker Monday and a weaker Friday, you know it it doesn't take a brain surgeon to work out why you're spending twenty thousand pounds more a month a day. Um, when you don't have to, because ultimately we have to generate revenue to keep the business alive. Um, you can't just keep on going and pretend it's not. You know, it's not. It's not difficult. It's very difficult. And what have you said publicly, or what can you no, share with us now no, in absolutely. terms of? No, no, we told everyone. You, no, 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 no secrets. No, I know, but I mean, in terms of your, your, as a business, are you down on revenues now with the two or three COVID years on the kind of glory days of <laughs> well, 16, 17, 18? Now we probably made a profit last year, and, and cool, that's quite incredible. But in terms of revenue total, we lost eighty-two percent of our revenue overnight when we shut the paper. Yeah, right. right. That was probably the scariest moment of my career in City AM. Uh, it was probably quite a humbling moment because I think if you're a fixer, you really, you, you, I suppose, a little bit arrogant. You, you, know, you always want to solve problems. And the more you try, you know, and you try hard with the right people, you, you can solve them. But this was completely unsolvable. You know, it was literally, I'm, I'm, I was just going round and round and round. And you can't physically tell the government to get people back to work. Um, so that was quite a humbling experience. But what it allowed you to do was in a very small team and, you know, people close to your heart and in a sanctum, go, what can we do that's good? What is in front of us? So we took um, those 18 months off to rebuild our website, um, probably more structurally than content-wise, and look to the future. So I'm pretty excited about this so-called digital revolution in our world. Right, we might be for a while. <laughs> yeah, I know, we <laughs> might be a bit late to the party, but as I said to someone the other day, I remember someone trying to sell me an app to create a City M app in 2005, and the cost was £120,000. I just made an app last week for nothing. So I might be late to the party, but I've allowed technology to develop, copy with pride, yeah. and, you know, that great phrase, you know, pioneers you know, usually come back with, you know, arrows in their back. So we're, we're kind of in a good place to go into that world. And I think that, that time we spent creating that product allows us to look at not just syndication and subscription models, um, but it allows us to introduce video. It allows us to actually introduce how we understand our data. Because our data is actually quite exciting. But, you know, I'm not that clever in that side of things. So finding people that can do that for you um, and finding the right people. And, of course, you have to have a leap of faith. Um, but that excites me going forward. Right. Um, if you look at 2021, the top 10 online subscription publishers generated $4.5 billion of revenue. Top 10, right? 
So that's a place I want to go fishing in. Yeah. But our question is being a free model. We will always be free to someone. But how do you create that demand and give you give the content? A the content is good. We've got twenty great journalists, but we're going to have to give more because we are free. Yeah. So what does that paywall exist? Well, how do you create that paywall? Why why would someone want to buy you when you've had it for free all these years? So I think you can do the usual, you know, ad free. Um, but I think we've got to do a lot more than that. So we'll be looking at the club, for example. What is the club then? It's like a membership club with yeah, benefits. Yeah, but yeah, basically, but that'll come part and parcel. So obviously, that does so well when everyone is coming in, particularly say on a Friday. But I'm, if they're not, that's less. A hundred percent sales. But, yeah, but it, I mean, you look at you, you just have to go out to show in, in half an hour's time, it'll be mobbed. Um, and I think what we've done with them is looking at top twenty kind of key categories or spend in that sort of sector. So restaurants, clubs, right, um, theatres, camera shops. Amazingly enough. Mm. Um, but it, what you've got to get right is the actual offer. And so what we've got, done to our, to our partners, say, regardless of who you are, it's 20 points off and that's it at any time. So that can, customer knows they arrive at the, the establishment, they get 20 points off and everyone understands that. Right. You can't just get sort of the downtime or I'll yeah. give you a glass of champagne they, before you arrive. So, yeah. so that, that's all stuff. And, and of course, those partners then, you know, why do they do that? A, obviously, it generates revenue for them. But also from an editorial standpoint of view, they're now our partners. So it doesn't take a brain surgeon if we want to have a conversation about pubs or a restaurant or whatever, our journalists will go and talk to our partners. So there's a proper call. There's, there's something that can involve both people. Well, that raises an interesting question, though, because if you're saying to me that you... Are you saying you give them favourable editorial because your reader wants a good pub recommendation, not just somebody not, who's... Not favourable. Uh, I, mean, I certainly wouldn't tell a reader to go to something that's crap, right? I mean, I think we have to select that process very cleverly. Um, but if you look at the nature of our reader, you know, they, they, they don't put up and um, they're educated. They won't. They, and if we did something wrong or pushed them down the wrong route, the only person that probably ends up with egg on their face is ourselves. So, you know, it's, it's quite a responsible task. It's not just simply come and, you know, let's do that. And then you know, I think I think it's a lot more detail. And again, we've been around for 17 years. so We know these guys pretty well. You know, it's not it's not something that we just sort of created overnight. Um, and I think that. That process in general probably takes two or three months because you have to meet management. Because if you're starting to give away discount on a basis of card, there is employment issues, there's fraudulent issues. Yeah, so you've got to be very careful um, how you do that process. But the good thing is you learn a lot more about their business. You know, and I think that's I think that yeah. for me that's exciting because you know it gives you this sort of diversity of interest, you know, and things I've never come across before. It's yeah. useful to add, yeah. L l moving on from the commercial side, although, you know, I would add as a, as a keen uh, reader and follower of you all these years, is um, having the paper physically around and seeing it on the tube is a great brand for you. It kind of lets everyone know that you're still there. And even if the online or the clubs or things like that have to be where you have to go to replace the revenue, yeah. the great thing about having the paper, even if it's not, making a huge amount of money at any one time it's like a walking talking little billboard around town yeah. and i see your um your display stands out where i live in west london but unfortunately they're looking empty and forlorn at the moment and i you know be something like maybe just use a message saying you know back in september or something like that would give your readers on the streets there just a little bit of uh, comfort no i think that's a fair criticism i am um, and you know there's um the, in my mind, and I'm not telling tales out of school, you know, we have issues with TfL, 
during COVID, 600 uh, station managers became health and safety experts. Oh, right. We don't have a contract with them, so hence we have to appreciate the laws of the land and not be within 10 metres of their space. Yeah, you're outside the space. Yeah, and it's kind of ironic, kind of sad, because for you know 15 years we worked very well together. Um, but I understand, I believe laws are the right things to do, so we do it. But I think that... Um, I think there will be a significant change in how we distribute our product going forward. I think there'll be a lot more door-to-door, um, offices, restaurants, etc. A huge concentration within the city, Canary Wharf, like almost the traditional places we started the paper round. Yeah. So it's kind of ironic yeah, we're yeah. back to that place. Um, it's easier to do just yeah, in the focused place. Yeah, and, you know, I'm not, again, this is not tales out of school. I mean, you know, I, I've considered saying, like, let's stop circulation entirely outside of the square mile. You know, and the sort of main business hubs, and if those that want to have the paper like yourself, pay for it, and they'll be delivered to your door yeah. at six a.m. in the morning. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm. There's got to be a balance between what is commercially viable, and that probably puts more pressure on our editorial product than ever before. Um, but you know, you can Google someone's name and get an image anywhere you want on online, right? These people are egotistical. They love the front page. They love the businesses being put up there. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's it's, it's scarcity. It's, it's a, focus. It's amazing. It's I mean, we probably get we probably get. I'm not sure. I talked about Andy, our, ed, our editor, last week. I think Andy some, Sylvester. Yeah, is, yeah, yeah. I think it's something like you know we 200 press releases a day. Mm. You know, and you've got 20 journalists. Now, if I was a PR agency, and you know your PR very well, Mr. Lowe, yeah, you'll put the phone up and talk to me. Yeah, that's the only way to do it these days. Otherwise, you're just in the lottery of, does someone open your email? Does someone have an interest? Does someone write about it? Yeah. And some of the journalism today, unfortunately, it's just, you know, it's just copy and paste. And, and, and um, There's a whole other podcast in me. how PR people yeah. can get through to journalists, because I'm sure of any journalists here, they're saying, they'd say, email me, don't call me, but that's another story. Just talk about, you mentioned the sort of relationship with the City of London. Yeah. Um, where is City AM now sort of as a political force? I assume you have good relations with the, the City of London. Um, where do you fit in with the political parties? Do you have a voice? You know, do they come to you? Where do, where do you see that whole piece? Um, I think I think it's very true that we have a voice. And, I, and I, again, please don't take this arrogantly. I think we are the platform of the corporation in London, and we are their tool to communicate both um, business to business and, uh, and and consumer messaging. Um, I get on very well with the corporation in London. Um, we very much back the Lord Mayor and their charities. We are a communication point for various advertising messaging they have to do through announcements, buildings, announcements of new ideas, tenders, etc. Um, there's a lot of initiatives in the city at the moment about taking it to, you know, zero carbon, mental health, the whole neurodiversity issue that now exists, and it's a huge problem, you know, and very much in business. You know, we're, we're working with Matt Hancock and it's, you know, I'm a dyslexic guy and you know that, <laughs> you've seen a lot of my emails. Um, but it's, a, it's something that, you know, having a vision to, you know, get every, every single school child screened by the age of 10 is one thing, it's achievable. Number two is taking the stigma away from the child of taking added tools for learning into class and not make it negative. And then the third, and much more important, is to get business to actually disproportionately invest in neurodiversity. And currently HR doesn't do that because ultimately you have a CV-CIV 
and if you have got those problems which are related basically you'll see it bad O levels bad A levels maybe not even university but some of these people are super special yeah you know that's why the likes of Googles and they actually specifically want to find those people because they have got different talents so that in itself sounds like a it, it's important for us to be part of that process and that came through obviously government rather than than, than the City of Corporation of London, but they're working closely with us. How do we actually make that something of a mandate within businesses? Um, and you mentioned a, Matt Hancock, though. Yeah. Was that when he was self-health secretary? Because that's now more than no, a year out of date. No, 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 no. Uh, Matt and I, well, we've known each other for ages since the oh. Gambling Commission, because obviously, you know, I, I, I am a trustee of the Postcode Lottery, and we obviously have to adhere to the Gambling Commission laws. And Matt was in charge, of that's how I met him. Oh, right. Um, and obviously, um, <laughs> things were a bit different a couple of years ago. Um, but he brought this to my attention, yeah, probably a year or so ago now. Right. And uh, I take it very close to my heart. Three of my kids yeah. are, are in, in that space. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm very focused on doing that. And, I'm, and, I'm, and I've got a great asset to communicate that. Yeah, that's so, so valuable. Yeah. I mean, as you say, certain skills for people who might be described as neurodiverse are so good for aspects of business. But because they maybe struggle in an office environment or the drinks after work environment, the existing old-fashioned systems of he or she is it's one not of the helpful. doesn't help them, so we need to find other ways of bringing, bringing and, that group forward. Yeah, and an interesting stat. Um, if you're confident, I was confident, so I was lucky. I could use the skill set of understanding a room and people and p being a little bit gobby. That got me through Just that. a little bit. Just a little bit. Um, but, you know, a lot of people are not like that. And yeah. it wouldn't surprise you to tell you that 50% of people that end up in prison have got some sort of neurodiversity problem. Right, you know, very smart, yeah, but they're not accepted, so they go and do naughty things. But they're brilliant at being naughty, but yeah. they get caught, yeah. you know. But if you think about that through the logical progression, you know, all it is is a bit of confidence, a bit of a cuddle, and a bit of a focus, and you've got a brilliant workforce there. Yeah. And in a world where we're dying for workers, we need more workers, yeah, no, that's so valuable. We look forward to following that. Yeah. You're listening to the Dog and Bone podcast from Propeller Group. If you're enjoying it, please share the link with your network. Subscribe on iTunes or your normal podcast provider. And if you're feeling really inspired, please write a review to help us zoom up the charts. Now, back to the conversation. At this point in the dog and bone, what we often try and do is actually get a few questions to you from other people uh, who know you. So um, we've got a few questions coming through on audio now. now the first one is from a, a legend in the financial world, Mr. Martin Gilbert. I know you know him very well. A great Scott. Yeah, another one. Uh -huh. He started Aberdeen Asset Management in the 80s. It's the one that's now with the five letters, you know, Aberdeen. Aberdeen, yeah. Aberdeen. Uh, but he's left there and he's now set up Asset Co. PLC. He's also the chairman of the FinTech Revolut. Revolut, yeah. yeah. The Net Zero Technology Centre. And good one for you, Scottish Golf. So pretty decent CV. Let's have the question from Martin Gilbert. Hi, Lawson. Um, I just wanted to ask you a question on what has been the most difficult part of your career. I've always been a believer that it's easy to manage a company during the good times, but you should really judge yourself on how you manage a, a business, a newspaper during the tough times. So just what has been your toughest time and how did you manage to get through it? That's an amazing question. Actually, it's quite interesting. Martin spoke at a lunch before COVID and was asked by someone about how he looked upon himself over that tenure of being the longest-serving CEO of the FTSE. And he, he summed it up in one word. He said survival. And so I would follow that by saying 
the whole COVID um, shutdown, the newspaper, the 82% reduction income, keeping a staff, because I'm very, I'm, you know, I'm very loyal, we're a family, finding the money to pay salaries, um, albeit it wasn't 100%, it was 90%, but I think that was quite a fair, considering we were actually not working. You know, we weren't producing anything apart from our online, and our journalists were phenomenal during that period. That was horrible. I mean, I, I won't, um, I won't ever um, forget those nights. And you know, the banks, certain businesses, supported us um, without any uh, teeth. They just said, "Lawson, we love you. We love City M. We're here to help." And that gave me a lot of confidence for the future. But, you know, I, I don't wish that on anyone. And, I'm, and people have much harder times than me. I get all that. But, you know, when you've got 45 people's families at stake with their income and we had the COVID, I, I, I take it personally. I don't want anybody in my staff to be in a bad way. Um, I treat them with total respect. And um, it was horrible. And, I, and, and actually, from a personal level, if you get business, I think the first three or four months, it wasn't bad. Scotland was kind of sunny. You know, I thought this was, <laughs> I thought this was okay, you know. <laughs> And then I think February 2021, my wife had a big word with me. I watched the entire set of the Game of Thrones, of Throne of Games. Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. I watched 70 hours of TV in a week. Your wife had a word with you because you did that, yeah. or she had a word with you no, to make you do that? No, she had a word with me, why are you doing that? I completely <laughs> lost my mojo. Oh, right. And I think that, you know, if you're used to coming down to London, the, as you say, bon vieux type fella, I love people. You know, from, you know, the, the guy that distributes my paper outside, you know, my flat to the coffee guy to the reception to the staff. I probably meet 50 people a day before, you know, before I go out for dinner or whatever. And I probably met 50 people in a year. Yes. That's massive. So man. different. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, you know, if I was a quiet bird, maybe not so bad. But no, it really um, it uh, put a lot of things into perspective. Right. A, how lucky we are that we're still around. You know, the, the value of personal relationships, um, the people that support you. And my wife, I said to my wife, I said, this COVID, the only good thing is our family have got together closer, we're much closer. She just laughed and said, no, you've come back home. She saw it, yeah, that's very good. Uh, but, you know, it, but it, you know, back to Martin's question, I think that um, how you judge yourself is very difficult to speak publicly about it because I think that, um, I think that A, it's personal and B, I don't think you'll ever give the right answer. I'd probably let others judge me um, and that be that professionally or, you know, people close to my heart in, in terms of staff. But, you know, what was the hardest times without a shadow, mm. without <clears throat> COVID? Well, I'll make a quick judgment because you mentioned certain businesses sticking by you during those times. And I reckon that's in no small part due to your personality and nature. And you've probably put in the in the bank, in inverted commas, a lot of goodwill over the years, which will be there and was there for you when you needed it. So people listening to this might uh, learn from you in that if you uh, make friends, keep your contacts close, show loyalty, if a bad time's hit, you'll have a, a few supporters out there yeah. who might help you, and that may have helped you there. Yeah, I think, I, I think, <clears throat> I think on that whole context of, you know, I mean, you, you have to have a product that, that is actually good, right? Um, but I think everybody's products are pretty good. We're living in a very much a homogenous you know, market where in most categories, most products are pretty damn good. And the edge between one and the other is probably built on personality or certainly personality of the business, not necessarily individuals, but actually the, the business itself. Yeah, the culture. And I think when I was younger, I was probably too much of a yes man. 
So I got myself in situations where I tried to help and ended up with egg in my face because I couldn't do what I promised or tried to help. So I think my lesson's probably more always help if you can, but if you can't, say no. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that everyone will accept that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's more maturity as you get older. It's a good point. You if learn. you can't do it, let Did people know, the then they yeah. don't, they're not waiting for it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I suppose just quickly, furlough did help during that period. You you had you had staff on furlough as well, didn't you? Which probably yeah, but I mean I mean, and the, the furlough obviously helped us from an income perspective. I'll give the government credit. I genuinely thought how they turned that around to the businesses that got furlough. I'm not going to say that you know people that are self-employed or not. That that's not that's a political conversation. But if you actually look at the task they, they faced and working with HRC and how they got that money out to those businesses, I think that was pretty impressive. Yeah, it was. You know, yeah. I, I take my hat off there. And we are, were, were, you know, a recipient of that. And, you know, yes, it wasn't a lot of money because our average salary is much higher than the, the furlough number. But, right, uh, yeah. we, yeah, of course, we appreciated it. And, you know, again, it's in our balance sheet. I'm not, I'm not scared to, or shy to, you know, we, we took a C-bills loan um, and... The pain of that is that, you know, it's costing us £35,000 a month for the next six years right. or we'll pay it off whenever we can. But actually, if you think about what went through, our country went through, the people that really suffered, I think thirty-five grand is a fair penalty to pay. You know, I think we all have to, you know, suck it up and yeah. just get on with it. That's very sanguine. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're right about the, and Propeller also was uh, used the furlough scheme, um, the speed of turnaround was admirable. What I would observe on that is so many things in, in government, in public life, you're told you've got to wait, it's in the works, it's six months, it's nine months, it's 12 months. But when you really have to do it, and I think that's almost a management lesson, yeah. a bit of chaos actually creates, or a bit of pressure actually efficiency. creates quicker efficiency, yeah. a bit like the world, the, you know, the war spirit. Yeah. But anyway, um, good lessons there. Moving on to our next question, which comes from Philippa Brown, and she's the worldwide CEO of the media agency PhD, which is part of Omnicom. Hello, Lawson. Philippa Brown here. My question is, thinking ahead three to five years, where do you see City AM's growth coming from? So in other words, how will the revenue model differ from today? I'm looking forward to the answer, Lawson. Hmm. Thank you. She's an angel. The most professional business lady I know. I think she's phenomenal. Um, great question. Um, doesn't surprise me. Um, the model has changed already. You know, if you think back to 2005, 92% of our revenue is, you know, advertising revenue from people like Philippa, Nick Feetson, Adam Crow, Claudia, all the, all the, all the great big names in agency world. Yeah, yeah, all these guys that, you know, had girls that were, you know, so good to us. And that, that was that was testing more to Jeremy Slattery, who had a relationship in the print world. But Your commercial chief. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Slats. Uh, he's been there 17 years, poor mm. lad. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think even today that model's probably 70 print 30 non-print um but then if you look at where the future lies and we've touched touched on this already with the subscription model and and where i'd want to take the product um but there's various you know from from events we're very much into the crypto we've created a sort of crypto community so these kind of verticals that are coming along might well be sort of paid for models in their own right yeah sitting underneath the umbrella of ctm.com right um syndication is something that came out of the blue and um, people pay for our content and big boys do it you know from googles to msm to you know yahoo to I mean, they, they generally want our content which is great for us um a we get revenue and b they get great content so that was something i, I wasn't expecting 
probably just too focused on what I was trying to do. But I would imagine our business will probably have seven different revenue streams. Currently, we've probably got five. Right. So okay. three to five years. I just hope that um, the significant growth in all five. And you're, you're not going to get everything right. You know, you're not. You know, that's just not going to happen. But you know, all I need is a two to work properly, and, and you know, the business is pretty secure. It's interesting what might replace or augment actual advertising, you know, as the classic paid advertising model that we know so well with the club idea, the membership idea, affiliate, data. These aren't your personal strong suits. So I think what you said earlier, you're on the journey of bringing in other people to kind of spot what can be done with CTM that you've Mm. built up. Um, but whether the, whether the yield can ever match that classic sort of back cover advert type of yield. Well, I used to call the cover wrap the crack cocaine of free newspapers um, because of its power, mm. you know. And, and I think anybody that's been involved in free papers like Rothermere or, you know, obviously and the standard as well. I mean, they, you know, they're significant. The reason why advertisers pay that amount of money is because it is quite impactful. I think the shame about media agencies today is they become really lazy. They've forgotten that they're media companies. You know, they don't buy and plan anymore. You know, they're just buying impressions and ticking boxes. And that's a shame. You know, if you go and talk to planning in agencies now, they're depressed. What they should be doing, their CEOs should be doing, is say, we are still a media company. We have access to global clients in every market because we buy their media. That's where they should be going. And it's a shame because they're they're reducing their ecosystems because there's cost efficiency in buying from less. Yes. So they tend to spend more with big. And that's not the way the world will go. You know, I think those that are clever, and that's why you see a lot more smaller agencies being created. A lot of clients are taking their advertising in-house. And yes, there's a functionality that big brands need, and they do great jobs in the bigger groups. But I, I think there should be a little bit more time spent on what are we, what is our, what are, what is our DNA first and foremost? What, for, me, a media, for a media group, yeah. yeah. And I think they lost that a little bit. And that's very frustrating for me because I'm small. And therefore, for us to sort of stand up and be counted, we have to be very annoying. I think our reps are probably, including myself, probably the most annoying person to any media buyer out there. Because I won't give up. I just keep, keep on phoning. You keep chasing. Well, that's yeah. great salespersonship, yeah. which will <laughs> get you through it. But. Yeah, and the worst thing, it's probably too senior. And they go, oh, God, it's him again. <laughs> but, I, but you've got to do that. You know, if you're not, you know, if you're not in that, that ecosystem. And, you know, if I, if, I, if I felt my product was inappropriate to their clients, yeah, I wouldn't bother. But I'm very proud of my product. And... The great thing about City and City AM is we have a very strong relationship with clients, you know, and we don't abuse it, but we certainly use it to our efficiency. The brands themselves or the or the, the agency? Actual, no, 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 forget the agencies, just the yeah. clients. So what are because you saying about agencies? They're leaving you off too many lists and you yeah, have to go no, direct I, to it, clients? Yeah, and, you right. know, and I think that split has changed. I mean, the four big groups used to represent 50, 60% of our revenue, probably more like 30 now. Right. And... It's, it's, it's more uh, profitable for me to go directly and clients understand they have a better relationship because obviously they've got an editorial demand, yeah? And as opposed to sending press releases, they know the editor, they know me, whatever. And if it's good enough for their, if for their statements, it's good enough for the advertising dollar. Um, so, you know, you have to be strong and brave. Yeah. Um, it's a good point because the, the media agencies wouldn't see the press release or... No, the editorial and, and, yeah, side, that, they wouldn't have a sympathy for it. Yeah, and that and that's something that I learned, you know, when we first launched the paper. You know, media is one part of a very big, big jungle, and I and I still don't, I still don't understand. If I had a big company, I'd probably have PR marketing much closer together, because they're actually working in tandem. 
but very rarely do you see clients having that as a as a specific function and very few clients actually have that marketing oblique pr person on their board yeah too few yeah. and then they then but you can be killed at the altar of public opinion and and city opinion and you you know it should be a boardroom level of course it should public affairs and and, public and, relations. and and quite rightly the ceo will say to me well i do that job and i go well okay fine but 80 percent of ceos in this country are probably more financially accountingly led we're not america you know so I'm not too sure if those people are the best place to see what they're seen by the outside world. Yeah, I'm not yeah. being critical. I'm just saying um, that's just an observation I've seen, um, and I may be wrong. But if I did, if I did run a big company, I would, I would certainly have that function much closer to um, the, the, that whole thing together. And I would actually bring in the agencies, the marketeers, the planners, the data management people, and the PR into that loop. And physically, not just you know sharing you know email lists, really understand what together. what our comms yeah. are. No, I totally agree. I mean, it's well, you, uh, you're the PR man, not well, me. Well, yeah, <laughs> and the, the the consumer, be it a business person or a, a regular consumer, picks up one image of a company. But if they're getting fed stories from different angles, then you can't blame them for forming different opinions or getting confused. I understand. That's, uh, yeah, and I think that's a. Uh, that's a godsend from us. You know, we, we are very much a libertarian, small C conservative, celebrating of business content media company. And if you keep that that simple, you just keep that day keep after day. You mentioned some supporters uh, of you from the media industry. We've got a question now from one of those, definitely. Uh, and you mentioned his name earlier on. Nick Theakston, the former CEO of Group M. He was actually described by Campaign Magazine, I found out, as the most important advertising buyer in Britain for a decade. What an accolade. And this question is a bit more personal. It's about you, your wife, and your children and their sporting achievements. So can we have uh, that question, please? Hi, Lawson. Nick Thiegstone here. Uh, I know Martin is interviewing you, and I have a question. I know both you and Zoe both have fantastic sporting genes, and I just wondered how that has manifested itself towards your kids hope it goes well mate all the best cheers before we, we go on to that uh, that question actually you know Nick Theakston Steve Goodman Adam Crow, Claudine Collins were the first supporters of our newspaper they actually said we believe you you don't need figures and they bought from day one and if it wasn't for them we would not have got our business to profitability with the money we spent and that's a huge thank you to all, all those but they, they, they took a leap of faith um, and I'll always remember them and still do fondly. Uh, he's naughty there, Thiko. Yeah. Um, Why is he naughty? Well, okay, I don't really like talking about it. My, my, my son is, you know, he's, he's knee bad at rugby. This uh, is Ben. Yeah, Ben. And uh, he is, is got he... his first cap for Edinburgh rugby maybe a year and a half ago. And he's done not bad there. He's got a good run of games. He went on the Scotland tour to Argentina. Uh, he played the A game. And, you know, we're very proud of him. Um, he's still a 20 year old boy learning his trade. Um, I know Thiko supports him, and that's probably where oh, that right. question came from. So the, he plays for the A squad, which is like the sort of challenger feeder squad for the the main. No, 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 team. no, 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 the, for the national team. Yeah. yeah, so he's not a cap yet. He, he just went to sort of learn. I think the Gregatans and took him to see what touring's all about for the national squad, um, and he had a great time. Um, but at the moment, he's back at pre-season. I think it's quite quite difficult. But you know, these young guys are pretty fit, man. I mean, they are. Yeah. Even three weeks off, you know, you can just see the. 
the professionalism is amazing. You know, what we call rugby, what we did when we were young versus what these guys do is just a different league. Um, but he's living the dream. You know, he goes to work on a tracksuit. Yeah. And, um, and there's a lot of pros and cons. And, you know, when you see him play, it's like sometimes you're, you're more worried about him getting off the pitch without being injured rather than watching him play the game of rugby. What position does he play? He's number eight. Number eight, right. And you're looking forward to one day seeing him at Murrayfield in the Six Nations overturning the English? Overturning the English doesn't matter if he's sitting beside me in the stand. It's still <laughs> fucking great. <laughs> um, we actually, interestingly, we took um, Sam Torrance, who is related with Ben and my wife, to Scotland versus England a few years back. Oh, the golfer, yeah. former Ryder Cup captain. Uh, uh, yeah. uh, and we sat in the crowd. He'd never been to a rugby game before in his life. Really? Yeah, and um, he's been a great help with Ben. It really inspired Ben to understand what it's all about being a professional sportsman. But when O'Flower of Scotland was sung, and that was a very proud moment. Sam was crying. Ben was, you know, just you could see the, the, the focus, and he wasn't looking at that game as a spectator. He was looking at that game as a, you know, an ambition to one day play in that, in that environment. And we actually we did beat the English that day. And it was a very, very jolly day it was too. Anyway, that's enough of Ben. I mean, um, yeah. all the kids are sport. My wife's sporty. I'm probably quite slow. I'll probably slow them all down and give them wee legs. But, um, you know, Rubes is probably not wanting to be a sports person. But, you know, they're all... Kind of, Ollie and Zach, they're, they're, they're terrorists. There's only you know, 14 and 12 still. So, <laughs> but, you know, we, we like sport as a family. So, you know, we can all play golf. We can all play football. We all, you know, throw a rugby ball around. Um, Zoe's obviously much more healthier than I. I mean, she's a bit of a thin. Your wife, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she's a helicopter. Pilot. She is. She is. Um, quite a job. wacky job, yeah. 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 So she's up in the the rigs in Aberdeen. Um, she goes up there every second week. Um, but no, her love is flying, and you know the only place you can have any sort of consistent, routined helicopter flying, yeah, is probably the rigs. I mean, she'll say it's a glorified taxi. I find it completely and utterly fearful. I don't like heights. I mean, you know, and actually, she doesn't really like that business, so that's probably why we're perfect. <laughs> so Aberdeen plays a big part in your life then because the company's registered up there, isn't it? it your is wife indeed. flies yep. up there. You've got a place in North Berwick. Yeah. Um, Aberdeen was... My, my father and mother lived there So because um, my dad was a shell guy. So, you know, Aberdeen's always been part of our lives. Um, the reason why we we're, were registered in Aberdeen was very simple. We were... I remember phoning you up to telling you I wasn't launching a radio station in Scotland. I'm launching a newspaper in London. And that was the sort of the bullshit story. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't want to register the company in London. Right. Because, you know, loose lips and all that stuff. And I, I suppose it was a bit, a bit arrogant to assume people even cared. But we used a company called Dundas and Wilson, who then were bought by Pinson Mason. And they registered up in Aberdeen. Right. So that's... Yeah, I remember the cover story because you needed, you needed a reason... Because, you know, the word was getting round then, yeah. Mm. Listen, we're coming towards the end of a, a, a great chat, Lawson. Um, and I'm going to ask you our, our uh, traditional question about your most embarrassing moment in business, but in a minute. But you mentioned, we mentioned, talked about Scotland there. And I, look, I follow you on LinkedIn. You're, you're not a great fan of uh, Nicola Sturgeon. How's that all playing out? I think that, you know, our, polit our politics definitely differ, right? Um, I can't, I'm the most proud Scotsman in the world. And what I don't like about her is... I sometimes think she thinks that being a unionist is anti-Scottish and takes the dignity away from me as being a Scotsman. So I have no interest in her at all. And I think I want the world to look at her as a politician rather than an orator. And she's intelligent. Rather than an orator. Yeah, but yeah. she's failed Scotland. Everything, devolution was a good thing, I thought. She's just abused it and destroyed our country. 
you know, I have no interest in that person at all. I'm more interested in nationalism, full stop. You know, I think it's just an archaic, um, attention-seeking failure. And I, I'm, I'm very passionate about it. And I could have been someone interested in Scottish independence if, because I bought the idea that a smaller company is probably easier to run than a bigger company. So a smaller country could be the yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. But to have that privilege to lead a country with all power she has and fails systematically across the board, I think is a disgrace. But let's stop that. All right. Yeah, yeah, no, that one that could go. Um, I could go forever. <laughs> but you're obviously clearly a proud Scot. I, yeah. You know, take your point, you don't have to be a um, supporter of Scottish independence to be a proud Scot. Um, how often do you get it to see Celtic? Unfortunately, not as often as I should. Um, of course, it'd be down in London uh, Monday to Friday, weekends, kind of family. And yeah. then, you know, the phone does go off. But so me going off to see Celtic in the after. I mean, I've, I've got all my kids have been baptised, every single one of them, Christmas Boxing Day game or day before Boxing Day. I very kindly you know a gentleman that um, owns a bit of Celtic and he kindly gives me his board seats and I took my, all my three boys to the same game at the same time. So they've all had the flag and they've all had their, their, their moment in the sun seeing the game. Um, um, but we don't go enough. I mean, I, I suppose when we do well in Europe, rather than, because it's a long time ago since we were good in Europe. Yeah. Um, those days are much easier because obviously I can go up on a, you know, a flight from City to Glasgow oh, right. yeah, and, yeah, and midweek. Get, get the game and then yeah. come back in the morning. Yeah. So actually I don't miss much work time and I don't interfere with the family time. And some of these European nights at um, Celtic Park have been glorious. I remember Nakamura scoring a goal against Man United for us to win a Champions League game at Parkhead. And we were in the... In the uh, and pompous at the boardroom afterwards and I suddenly realised we'd qualified right we'd beat Man United and qualified to the next so round and it was round. just amazing because we are a small week club versus these money giants. when was that then I vaguely remember that it's about probably 15 years ago yeah, 20 yeah. years we'll ago it was, a, it was a cracking free kick I mean it, and if you go to I mean if you go to Celtic Park and you hear the fields of Raff and Rye or you know, walk on and, and the, the 65,000. I mean, it, it, it's immense. It's wonderful. And I'm, I'm not an anti-Rangers man. You know, Rangers doing well in Europe makes Celtic do well in Europe, right? You know, of course, I'm obviously not the greatest fan when we play against each other. <laughs> of course not. But, you know, you have to be pragmatic. If Rangers do well in Europe, it's good for us. So, Lawson, it been fascinating chat. As I said, we always uh, end the dog and bone with this little sort of traditional question where we get the, the guests to share with us the most embarrassing business moment. And I don't like it to be too long ago because everyone had their first job where they got the PowerPoint the wrong way around, you know, when they were 22 or something. But, you know, you're a senior figure. Give us one of the anecdotes that uh, you, can, you can tell us now okay. with a happy heart. Uh, I mean, there, there is numerous, and, I, and I'm, I'm sure people, people, people will phone you up continuously because I'm, I'm not very good. I'm, I've got a massive Manaprop problem. Um, and I don't really want to go into some, but... There has been some very embarrassing moments um, at client level, at friend level, at internal communication level. But I think probably the one that springs to my least, because Gilbert's been on, um, I was meeting Martin Gilbert in the, is it the M uh, Hotel? Yeah. No, the W, is it W, it's in Soho somewhere, Posh yeah. One. Oh yeah, that's the M. It's, it's, it's a grand hotel. And we were, meet, we were meeting <clears throat> for a drink. It must have been like 7 o'clock in the evening or something. And I was kind of, you know, happy-go-larry, kind of, you know, I'm not a big fan of posh thing. You know, I like this sort of, you know, a pub kind of... Anyway, yeah, I walked like in. Yeah, like the pub, I know. Yeah, and I walked in, 
and uh, I saw I saw the chair and I went and ordered a drink, came back, sat in the chair, and um, this, you know, rather ruffled sort of mate, Steve, came running across to me. Sir, 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 sir. So what's your problem? What's your problem? I'd actually sat on the table. You sat on the table? Yeah, because it was it looked like a stool, but it was oh, actually right. a table. It was a highly designed thing. Highly, high, very high. So um, <laughs> and it, one of, wasn't one of my best moments, that's for sure. All right, OK. Well, that's a good note to end on. Lawson, thanks very much indeed for joining us on the Dog and Bone podcast. Well, thank you very much. It's been great chatting. And um, we actually met each other in 1994 at Eurosport. Good that, memory, yeah. right. Yeah, many, yeah, many minutes going ago. Going right back. So you've been part of my life for a long time, and we're still talking, which yeah. is magic. Thank you very much. Cheers, Lawson. Cheers, man. Thanks for joining us on The Dog and Bone. Please subscribe to the podcast, and if you have any questions or suggestions, do get in touch via our website, dogandbone.dog, or send us an email at woof at dogandbone.dog. <laughs>